G'day, it's Phil here. I'm joined by Helen Connolly again. She's a structuralist. She's a humanist. She's an optimist. She's the Commissioner for Children and Young People for the great state of South Australia. And she believes that you need to leave something positive behind you, that actions matter and that you can make a change. Last time in our conversation, we started talking about Helen's background and upbringing and the formative influences that sort of shaped her life today. I'm really interested to learn with you, of course, listeners, about how Helen, who started off with an economics degree and then went backpacking and then came back and did social work and then had children and all of that sort of thing, how she ended up in the role she does today and what that role actually is. I'm excited, I can't wait, let's go. Before you start your conversation with today's Game Changers special series guest, Phil, can you share with our audience a little bit about our Series 9 sponsor? Of course, Adriano. A School for Tomorrow is a globally recognised network that supports students, educators, school leaders and their communities to thrive in the new world environment. Their Circle Global School Research Program continues to design and run large international collaborative research projects that improve outcomes, strengthen culture and support the people in schools who are serving the rapidly changing world of their own communities. To find out more about how you can come on this journey, you can visit the link in the description or contact their client associate, Kyle, at kyle at circle.education. That's kyle, K-Y-L-E, at circle.education. Let's go. Hello, Helen. Hi, Phil. You having fun? Yep. Absolutely. Always strange talking about yourself. Oh, it's great, isn't it? It just it just makes you feel just slightly uncomfortable, really, doesn't it? I've I've had the opportunity to do this type of conversation for a fair bit over the last couple of years. My colleague Adriano De Prado sort of pushed me into doing this when he said, but when you do it, you have to share a little bit about yourself along the way. You can't just ask questions about other people's lives. And yeah, there's always a sort of a frisson, isn't there, of just just uncomfortableness about sharing details, isn't there? But you know. Yeah. I think um, one of the things we've learned from our research is that as educators, we teach who we are, but as leaders, we show the way. And we, we and, and, and as you pointed out last time, we have to go the way, you know, you said that, we, that it's about integrity and, and, and walking the talk. Um, but we also have to know the way and to know the way we have to be able to tell the story so that that way people can understand what's going on. So thank you for helping us to know the way as well as to see how to, go the way and and we do that by exploring with you how you show the way where we got up to last time you'd gone and done social work after all that background walk us through in a few minutes how you end up as the commissioner for children and young people (laughs) um so i finished social work i um and that's been really interesting doing it degree I took a lot I think it was a four you're supposed to be four years I think I ended up doing it over six or six seven years maybe which means that um in a small state like Adelaide the small town like Adelaide you end up um so I was with and I was doing first year subjects and fourth year and third year I was all mixed up because I had a previous degree which means I ended up studying with just about every social worker who's come out of um university in the last however many decades so so it was a good grounding having a really ready-made network of people that I'd actually studied with so by the time I'd left um lots of them were already in the field I got a job uh firstly 
uh, in a homeless agency, a pretty um, well-known one in Adelaide Hutt Street Centre. So I was a social worker there and then really just did the, uh, you know, I have to say I was ambitious. So I started out with an ambition to be always in a position where I could make that difference. Um, and I kind of worked out pretty quickly that, you know, hierarchies uh, are pretty important. And so people who were higher up the food chain were clearly making decisions that were impacting on the work I was doing on the ground. Um, and I was uh, so I kind of did the whole I need to get up so I can be part of this decision making. So I did, you know, end up being I was a social worker there. I then went off. Um, and so then, you know, my first job as a manager at another inner city agency um, established. So the role I had at Hutt Street as well was a, the a first role as an outreach worker to the parklands. So I was actually out in the parks with homeless people. So again, first role and then took on the um, first manager role in this other age, brand new kind of venture in the city. So I was always chasing that kind of, oh, I can I can mould this and be, you know, first. Um, then I went into a really large agency, Anglicare, and I stayed in Anglicare for many, many years and, and was lucky enough to be given so many opportunities um, and really rose through to where I took on my executive kind of leadership positions in that agency. Um, then I went into, uh, God, I have to remember, then after that I was the um, left Anglican and became a CEO of a small uh, inclusion agency, then went to the Red Cross uh, as the state manager for Australian Red Cross and then into the commissioner role. So kind of had that, that kind of trajectory, pretty traditional at one level. Um, I guess the thing I always did, though, was this real belief that I also had to do more than your work. And so I was always, um, so I chaired, so I joined kind of um, other not-for-profits and was on their board. So I was the chair of the South Australian Council of Social Service for a number of years during that. I was on a director on ACOS. I was the co-chair of Reconciliation SA. I was on a number of housing boards. So really, really trying to um, ensure that, you know, that we were doing all we kind of could to make a real difference and had five kids in so I ended up with five kids by the time. Um, so five. And, five. You, know, you, you, you weren't busy <laughs> enough already. <laughs> so I had yeah the five of them they're grown up now but um so you know it was all that kind of stuff about managing a family and, and being organized and getting them through school and all that kind of stuff. So yeah so there was that twenty I don't know 20 year period would have think um where life was pretty full we're going to come to the role you've got in a moment i just want to pause on that history there there are two things there that i'm really really interested in i mean i'm interested in a whole lot but there are two things i want to i want to i want to dig out a little bit i'm interested in the notion of how you exercise agency within an agency because many teachers out there many educators who listen to this and other people who are um, other listeners of game changers who tend to be wrestling with a system you know, and and quite often they can feel powerless. You know, how do you exercise agency within an agency? 
Yeah, that's that's really cool. Um, so I think there's a bit that you have to always understand what you're doing and you need to look at it from the outside so that whole kind of objectively looking at the situation. So when you're working with um, clients or with teachers, with students, you can see it very much in that um, this is an interpersonal relationship without looking, again, that structural stuff around what's sitting around that, what's making the, um, the, you know, what's impacting on this person and is it about them or is it about the way that the system is structured? So once you kind of think about life in that way, then you realise that uh, you actually have to always be looking at what how to change the system, not try, not just how to make someone adapt to the system. So, so that's a really interesting observation. So, of course, a sociologist who's also an economist, of course, there's structure there and there's yeah. an appreciation of the overall structure's when you're a chalky in a classroom or, a, or, a, or in a school setting, most of the time you're not thinking structure, you're thinking relationship, and it becomes very, very personal. How do, how do, you, help, how do you help people you're working with to stop, sit back, reflect, and get that overall structural perspective where they almost remove themselves from the, from, from the picture and instead look at it in terms of the overall structure with the learner, or in your case, the child or the client or the family in the centre. So, and that's really important. So if you're a, a teacher in a school, then then what are the elements that you have at your disposal that you can use? And what you can use is values. So how do you, what do you value really in your role? And how do you ensure that every day you bring that values into action? So I say to teachers, you could make your classroom the most democratic, inclusive classroom that you possibly can. You may not change the culture of the school and you won't change the culture of education necessarily, but you can make a real difference in that space because if you value inclusion and participation um, and anything else that you value, you need, that's the agency that you bring to it. So for me, integrity, um, kindness, all those things are what you bring. So it's more than the relationship because the relationship is that one-on-one, the values actually matter to the group. So when I'm supervised and have supervised staff, you know, thousands of staff over the years it is that stuff around how, what difference can you make that's not just about expecting that person to change where's the change that you will also make in this deal it's an interesting observation because again i can remember being brought up by the older teachers around me to believe that it's not about your values and you can't impose your values. You've got to, it's got to be a value-free zone as if there's anything we can do in the world as a teacher where it's value-free. Everything we do has both values and ideally a value attached to it. And I think it's just being open and honest to say, well, this is what I bring to, to, to the party. But then you, you, I think you then have to, you have to then allow the other person to reciprocate and then try and negotiate the space um, in, 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 in between that, you know. Yeah, I think that we've hijacked the conversation around values 
and put the word either political or religious before them. And that's why people are scared. Values, there's humanity, you know. There's actually this decency and respect and kindness and inclusion and not values that anyone should leave at the door. Like why would we ever want humans to walk into a place with other humans and say, oh, no, we're going to actually forget all that stuff that we think is really important and concentrate on being mechanistic? I just don't think that's how other humans want to relate to each other. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, the, the religious piece around that is an interesting one. I, you know, it's, I'm a person of faith and, you know, when I look at the Gospels, I see someone who spent their entire ministry um, arguing against hierarchy and Pharisees. Um, and then when I look in our public discourse now, both in politics and religion, all I see is hierarchy and Pharisees. So, you know, that goes back to the an integrity piece you were talking about earlier about walking the talk. I won't ask you to comment on that because you're in a public position, but I can ramble on about that sort of stuff if I want to. <laughs> um, there's a second piece I'm interested in, in in terms of your history. I'm a little bit wary about asking a woman about this because it's the sort of question that can get misconstrued but so let me frame it this way one of the things that I've learned in my career is about how to and Adam Fraser the the Melbourne psychologist calls this the third space how to negotiate translating yourself from being an executive leader who has responsibility and is up and go and this and that and the other and then you have to come home and in my case I'm dad well, I was, you know, I was there. My kids are all grown up, et cetera, et cetera, now too, and often doing their own thing. But I found that very, very difficult in my career to do that, to learn, to switch off, to, to transition into a, in, into a different mode. Um, and, and I think for many of the emerging leaders in education, when they walk into a school situation, the one thing they will tell you is that they're busy, stressed and anxious. How, what, what's your experience as a very experienced executive leader about how do you leave the busy, anxious, stressed behind so that when you're in that space, you can honour that space for what it is that they require, which is never busy, anxious and stressed? <laughs> yeah, look, I don't know the answer. I, my, um, for a lot of my career when I had younger kids, I had a half-hour drive there like in the morning and at the end of the day. So yeah. I, could, I think that... Um, the transition. So I felt like I made a transition uh, just in terms of that drive home. Um, I don't know how conscious it was, but it certainly allowed, you know, a little bit of de-stressing. But I also think it's really interesting because I reckon some of the um, ways that I've manage staff and you know particularly as I've got older is I think people would say I'm quite a maternal kind of person so I think I just go oh god that's just part of who I am and so um, I have to keep it in check and make sure I don't treat my staff like my kids but I think there is a bit of um, who you are is who you are so you bring that stuff into work you know, you try to make sure you bring more of the good stuff than the negative stuff, I guess. But that transition, yeah, and I just think there's a busyness of life that means that you're just doing, you know. At one level, you don't, you're not always reflecting and being deeply introspective. You're just kind of going for the next thing and, you know. And then there's nothing like when you come home, people, you know, 
there was always nappies to be changed and food to be made and you know like it's just the reality of the doing stuff I can remember sitting at a dinner table with children all around it and so on and I would I would have this habit of you know looking looking down over the top of my glasses and they would just they'd just laugh at me you know, it's, <laughs> don't, don't, don't pull that headmaster trick on us it's like yeah. that's not gonna work my kids would say you know don't stop social working us um yeah. you know and you know they'll do the whole well tell me what you mean by that and they're like oh shut up mum so exactly. there was a fair bit of my kid and you know I think there's also something about a pack of kids so my kids are a bit of a pack they move in a pack they're still very close to each other there, were, there was like they're five under ten so you know they're close uh there was more of them <laughs> yeah you can't win can you, yeah, <laughs> you just can't win yeah. It's a battle of numbers in the end, isn't it? Isn't yeah. it? Um, all right. So, so there's this career. There's this whole person. There's this acquiring of experience, and now there's this role. Tell me about how this role came about in South Australia. Tell me about how you found yourself doing the job, and let's talk a little bit about what you try and do while you're in that job. Yeah. So, um, so I've obviously worked around families and children in all sorts of different community service settings, and so I've been um, aware, obviously, over many years about the call from civil society more broadly for a children's commissioner, and and across the country, every by the time South Australia. When I, time I started, every state and territory had appointed a commissioner uh, and South Australia hadn't. So there'd been um, lots of reviews into child protection systems and finally there was uh, a big review which again recommended a commissioner for children. Uh, so this time the government actually said that they would accept all recommendations um, that Margaret Nyland put to them in her review of child protection. Uh, and so there was a commitment. And the government came through on their commitment uh, and, and, act, and created legislation that enshrined a commissioner. And even though I'd kind of known about it and been part of some conversations over the years, uh, they put in the paper and I applied. <laughs> It was a pretty kind of, I, I just, I saw it and I thought, um, well, maybe I could do that. And then you have the whole, oh, no, I don't think they want someone like me. I'm sure they want a lawyer. So there's always the sense of they want a lawyer or, um, or someone who had had that more formal advocacy kind of approach. So I put my hat in the ring. Um, and after a really lengthy process, I have to say, recruitment process, I was successful. But the great thing about the recruitment was children were involved. So the process included kids being the welcomers uh, on the day of interviews. So they did the whole settle you in and did a whole range of things. And then they reported back to the panel on, hey, you didn't know me, obviously I didn't know all of this, but they reported back on um, how they thought I was. And then there was, you had to walk into a room with 20 something grade fives and sixes and, and do something that um, engaged them. And then actually they rated your performance. So they were part of the formal process. And then there were kids on the panel as well. Um, and, and feedback was that, um, you know, I, I was good with kids. 
So I think that probably in the end, you know, swayed them in my favour. Uh, and I commenced the role in 2017. There you go. Look, I love the idea of kids being involved in all of these sorts of things, particularly in um, sneaky roles like welcomers and <laughs> and, uh, and and hosts at morning teas and, and those sorts of things. Um, I think it was uh, good. Yeah, it's great. It's great. That's it's um, anything which is going to give value uh, to the input of children. It's, it's interesting. Look, a lot of the work that we've been doing with schools one-on-one over the last 10 years, you know, we help them think about their strategies and their place in the future and, and, and what learning might look like and the vocabulary of it and all those sorts of things, which are, you know, good technical educational things to do. 10 years ago or 12 years ago, when we started doing it globally, it was all about boards and executives. Increasingly these days, students and their parents and alumni, those are the voices that really matter in terms of in terms of making it real. And it, you know, it's almost like moving it from a capital C corporate to a, a small C corpus, you know, the, the, the whole body of a community. It, it's really quite interesting. What's the role of the Commission for Children yes. and Young People? It's a systemic advocate. So I don't work with individuals, but it is about um, promoting and protecting the, the rights and the interests and the well-being of all South Australian children. So it's been interesting, lots of other commissioner positions around the country and around the world uh, either are focused on a particular vulnerable group. So a lot of the kind of kids in care, kids in juvenile justice, that kind of focus, um, or they'll be about uh, an individual response, kind of like a complaints process. Yeah, like, a, like an ombudsman kind yeah. of Yeah, whereas mine is very much around... Um, the whole, everything that impacts on children. So so I took, so when I started, you know, you, these roles are strange. You, I start, you start and, you know, there's lots of um, fanfare and people ask you what you're going to do and you, you don't really know because you haven't done it before um, and no one else has done it before in the States. So, you know, you end up with, you know, I said I had a mobile phone, a piece of legislation, a desk uh, in a horrible building and felt like, well, here we go, what do we do now? Uh, and really looked at where I thought I could make that difference uh, and bring a unique voice and perspective. So I sat with it for a while and really thought, you know, what is, you know, this is about all of children's rights. I am, I guess, an, you know, a, I've been a practitioner who very much was about um, empowering of individuals. So how do we empower young people? So I took those kind of thinking and the stuff I'd done around bringing people together and being that connector and thought, I I can do something a bit different in this role uh, if I don't focus just on kids who are really at the pointy end and vulnerable because everyone else is in that space and people are doing good work and really trying to um, kind of renew systems and create new responses. What I have to do is make sure that I'm speaking for all South Australian kids. So I kind of took this focus on education. So I said, look, that's where most kids are. So, you know, they're going to school. 
that's their that's the big system that impacts on their day-to-day life. So what can I do particularly in that space? And how do I ensure that I'm that that integrity piece is is front and center in everything I do and I won't speak about an issue unless I've heard from kids. That's hard to do. First of all, we've really tried to make this thing about telling the system, telling those in power, telling business and telling community what children have been trying to get heard for decades and haven't been listened to. So I take their voice to the top tables and try and influence directly from what they've told me. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? It's, it's, it's the leadership from the middle thing, isn't it? It's about inserting yourself into the middle culture and trying to work out what you can be doing for that group. I think I think working around the margins is very, very important because the work you do around the margins or the periphery of, of, of culture, you're working with the people who are least similar to the people in the middle and therefore the needs of connection and the needs of belonging and the needs of support of those yeah. people really test your capacities as an educator or as, a, or as a, an agent or a social worker or whatever it is but as you said, if you like, if you're going to affect culture significantly, if you're going to make that difference, you've got to get into the middle. Um, when we talk with kids, they will always tell us that adults don't listen. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's we we just did a major study of uh, of schools in New Zealand um, as part of our research work, and when we do these, we we do these big sort of multinational research studies and we talk with thousands and thousands of kids and teachers and so on and we ask questions we don't tell people why we're asking the questions but we always find things that we just weren't expecting we're looking at high performance culture and why a particular set of schools are doing particularly well when you ask the kids about the factors that either boost or detract they will talk about systems they'll talk about culture they'll talk about adults they'll talk about kids in roughly equal measure um, when you ask the adults they don't talk about the kids. Yeah. They don't listen to the voice of the kids. Yeah. So what are you doing to help us adults to listen <laughs> to the voice of kids better, please? Yeah, look, so as I said, this is, I think, um, this is the bit of the role. So going out and listening to kids is the bit that's most enjoyable and most powerful, I think, um, and often quite difficult because adults also want to block access to children's voices. So some don't listen, um, but some actually don't want, just don't want to know. So there's a whole, so I spend a lot of time um, trying to insert myself into places where children are. So I go to, and I work across all, the kind of age groups. So I say to people, when life gets really, when I'm feeling a bit, you know, God, this is hard, I go to childcare centres. So, and I hang out with four, three, four, five-year-olds and I ask them about life. And I sit on the floor and we have conversations and they tell me about the things that matter to them because I'm listening. And I know about what's happening with families because of what kids say. And if you go to enough different demographics of childcare centres and talk purposefully and listen, then you pick up 
with that group. I go into um, schools. So I, and I try to run series of conversations. I think it's also really important that um, I'm asking kids stuff that matters to them, not just stuff that matters to me. So that they, so that there's a reason for them to actually speak and be heard. Um, and I also make a bit of, I have a bit of a social contract, I guess, that I'll do something with it. Sometimes listening for the sake of listening. But when I started, the probably the, the biggest thing I did was when I started, I said, um, there's been some reports done about what kids wanted in a commissioner. So I had a bit of a list. And they wanted someone who they could know that was um, accessible, that would um, was a bit fun. So I had a big list. I went, all right, I'll tick off on those character pieces. This is like what they want to see in someone. Um, and I, you know, I'm probably quite playful by nature, I guess. Um, so you know, I would want to make things fun and playful as we can. So I had that list. Then I said, look, I really need to know what the issues are. So I went out on my initial listening tour and was really keen I went all over regional remote um, metro Adelaide I went into the hospitals I went to the uh, juvenile detention centres I went to schools I went to church groups I went to sporting clubs you name it I went absolutely everywhere and asked kids about what was important to them what wasn't working well and what they would change came back thousands of pieces of data like thousands and thousands of kids wrote me this little thing that said the one thing I want Helen to know is so after a whole heap of conversation conversation we'd given this free text piece um, and they wrote me notes analyzed all those created my plan so my five-year term has been driven by a five-year plan that came directly from what kids told me was the stuff that really mattered and I systematically now gone out and and had conversation after conversation about these things that matter themed so you know the first year I did bullying and then ended up with a big bullying report I've done poverty I've done um uh, sex, you know, you name it. I've kind of done a whole heap of these big projects that has their voice. And so that was, that's, you know, it was a huge investment that has really stood me in good stead because that's the stuff that matters to them. And they don't have a problem talking to me because it's what they want to talk about. So, you know, they'll tell me all sorts of things. And then along the way, there's also been obviously everything submission and thing that happens I go out again and we'll create and have short ad hoc conversations about kids about these things or whatever so so an enormous engagement and the only person so I've got a team of people around me but I am the person who listens to kids not my staff my staff work out when I bring it back how to make it into something you know that others could understand but it's my contract with kids that it doesn't get distorted. They tell me, I tell it like it is. There we go. Game changes. There's a there's a process there, isn't there? There's a real science to that. And 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 this whole series, this series nine of game changes, we're 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 trying to focus in on this notion of a science, which at the end of the day is probably less about favourite theories of content that affect content and more about process and more about the way in which we go about shaping our view about how to learn about the world, how to learn about learning and how to influence those within it. The 
the, the theme that we're looking in at in, in the school for tomorrow. And Helen and I haven't set this up, so it's beautiful it's coming out this way. But the theme that we're looking at for the whole of the first quarter of 2022 is about measuring what matters. Measuring what matters to kids sounds like a really good way for us to start the next episode next week. Thank you so much, Helen, for this second conversation. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Phil. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.